You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The Mirai botnet afflicts Tomcat. Cardiocom services are downed by cyber attack. Uptix calls InfoStealers organization killers. Legacy third-party risk management practices meet with dissatisfaction. Cyber skills gaps are reported in the UK's workforce. Our guest is George Pritchick of Upswat with a look at Microsoft Teams vulnerabilities. Our new Threat Vector segment features a conversation with David Moulton and Michael Sikorsky on the potential threats from LLMs and AI. And sieged sec hits NATO sites. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel briefing for Thursday, July 27th, 2023. What's turning up in the honeypots nowadays? Well, Mirai, among other things. Aqua has published an analysis of Mirai malware attacks observed in its Apache Tomcat honeypots. The researchers found that threat actors are actively seeking misconfigurations on Tomcat servers, specifically misconfigurations in the Tomcat Web Application Manager. The researchers say, in our case, the host was infected with Mirai, and based on our analysis of previous attacks and research, it appears that the threat actor intends to use this malware as a base for further attacks. These attacks could range from relatively low-impact campaigns like crypto mining to more severe DDoS attacks. It is important to note that this campaign is still ongoing and the attacks are continuously evolving and changing to avoid detection. Heart monitoring technology and medical electrocardiogram provider Cardiocom Solutions experienced a cyber attack that resulted in the disruption of its business systems, TechCrunch reports. The company has disclosed that the impact on its business operations may extend for several days or even longer, contingent upon the promptness of data restoration and re-establishment of production server environments. According to Cardiocom, There is currently no indication that the security breach led to the compromise of customers' health information, given that their software is designed to operate within each client's distinct server environment. The company affirms that it does not gather any patient health information from its clients. In response to the incident, Cardiocom has taken precautionary measures against identity theft, aiming to mitigate potential repercussions on its personnel. A new report delves into the world of info-stealers and their prominent role in the C2C market. According to Uptix, 
These malicious entities are deemed organization killers due to their ability to provide threat actors with unauthorized entry into a company's confidential networks through the compromise of employee credentials. Uptix defines an info-stealer as a specific type of malware that is intricately programmed to infiltrate computer systems and surreptitiously exfiltrate sensitive information. The stolen data is then transmitted back to the threat actor's command and control center, affording them the means to exploit the acquired information for nefarious purposes or peddle it on the dark web. Uptick says in the first quarter of 2023, incidents involving info-stealers have more than doubled compared to the same period in the previous year. Health3PT has released a survey whose results are intended to shine light on the challenges organizations associate with third-party risk management and how those challenges affect the healthcare sector in particular. The survey found that most companies consider the legacy methods of TPRM ineffective, with 50% of the covered entities claiming that TPRM is not keeping pace with the volume of security assessments they receive. They also complain of excessive turnaround times for fixing issues discovered in the audit process. Business associates, on the other hand, find that customers are unwilling to accept third-party validated assessments and certifications in place of proprietary control questionnaires. The business associates also assess that companies need help in handling the variety of questionnaires and audits and the resources and time required to meet compliance. A study conducted by researchers on behalf of the UK Department for Science, Innovation and Technology, DIST, has revealed significant skills gaps within the cybersecurity industry. According to the report, approximately 739,000 businesses, constituting 50% of the total, exhibit basic skills gaps in their cybersecurity personnel. These gaps manifest in the lack of confidence and competence in performing fundamental tasks outlined in the government-endorsed Cyber Essentials Scheme, while also lacking support from external cybersecurity providers. The tasks with the most common skills gaps include configuring firewalls, securely storing or transferring personal data, and detecting and removing malware. Moreover, the study finds that 33% of businesses experience more advanced skill gaps in areas such as forensic analysis, security architecture, and interpreting malicious code. Interestingly, although the percentages for basic and advanced skill gaps have remained stable, there's been a steady increase in the proportion of businesses expressing doubt in their ability to carry out cybersecurity tasks since 2020. The report highlights additional challenges faced by businesses in this domain. Specifically, 22% of businesses report encountering applicants who lack the requisite skills for cybersecurity roles, while 49% indicate that their current staff or job applicants fall short of meeting the necessary qualifications. The study also delves into the preferences of cybersecurity workers, with 61% expressing an inclination towards being a cyber generalist. This career path involves diversifying their work across multiple specialties within the cybersecurity domain. In terms of job opportunities, the report points out a notable increase in cybersecurity role listings with a rate of 5,900 jobs per month in 2022, totaling just over 71,000 job postings for the entire year. This marks a 33% rise in core cyber job postings compared to the levels observed in 2021. 
Additionally, demand for all cyber roles has grown by 30% during the same time frame, as noted by the researchers. And finally, a note on the cyber phase of Russia's hybrid war. Bleeping Computer reports that NATO has confirmed it's investigating claims that the alliance's Communities of Interest Cooperation Portal has been compromised by the Russian hacktivist auxiliary SiegeSec. COI is a collaboration portal used for exchange of unclassified information. SiegeSec posted some 845 megabytes of allegedly stolen files to a dump site. The group said in its Telegram channel, Do you like leaks? Us too. Do you like NATO? We don't. And so we present a leak of hundreds of documents retrieved from NATO's COI portal intended only for NATO countries and partners. Security firm CloudSec has published the results of its own investigation, and they believe the compromise to have been accomplished with stolen credentials, stating, With low confidence and no direct proof, we assess that the credentials for the compromised user account may have likely been sourced from stealer logs. SiegeSec has been active since April of 2022. The group said on Telegram, This is a retaliation against countries of NATO for their attacks on human rights. We hope this attack will get the message across to each country within NATO. SiegeSec is not known to have engaged in financially motivated cybercrime such as ransomware, and it says it's not involved in supporting Russia's war. The timing of the group's appearance and its target set render that claim implausible. Coming up after the break, George Pritchett from Opswat with a look at Microsoft Teams vulnerabilities. Our new Threat Vector segment features a conversation with David Moulton and Michael Sikorsky on the potential threats from LLMs and AI. Stay with us. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. 
Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. It is my pleasure to introduce our newest recurring segment on the Cyberwire. It's called Threat Vector, and it's brought to you by Palo Alto Network's Unit 42 and hosted by David Moulton. Yeah, I think the biggest concern when it comes to ChatGPT, the LLM, everybody having access to this technology almost suddenly is where is it going to impact and benefit the attacker the most? Welcome to Threat Vector, a segment where Unit 42 shares unique threat intelligence insights, new threat actor TPTs, and real-world case studies. Unit 42 is a global team of threat intelligence experts, incident responders, and proactive security consultants dedicated to safeguarding our digital world. In today's episode, I'm going to talk with Mike Siko-Sikorsky. Siko is a best-selling author and expert in reverse engineering and the CTO and Vice President of Engineering and Threat Intelligence for Unit42. Siko, you got that name in college when there were, what, nearly a dozen Mikes on your track team? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, there was a lot of us and we needed ways to, to differentiate. Luckily, I, I had a pretty cool name because my last name is Sikorsky and Siko is kind of natural. And then I kind of just ran with it into the, I guess that's a little bit of a pun, <laughs> ran with it into, right. uh, into the hacking culture, right? And having a nickname like Sicko is, uh, is definitely a good one to, for, to build your street cred. Well, it, it definitely works and it caught my attention when we first met. Um, before the show, I asked you what was uh, top of mind or what should be top of mind for our audience right now. And you immediately jumped right to AI. And there are stories about AI everywhere right now, no matter where I look. What should our audience think and care about right now when it comes to AI? Yeah, I think the biggest concern when it comes to ChatGPT, the LLM, everybody having access to this technology almost suddenly is where is it going to impact and benefit the attacker the most? And that's with social engineering. We've all seen this technology used for, hey, write a song in the style of this artist. And, you know, with with the, with the lyrics to my friend or family member, and it comes out perfectly sounding like them. You can imagine now the attacker has the ability to do that same thing, but say, hey, write an email and sound like this person. And if you think about it, we respond to upwards of a thousand incident response engagements a year in, in Unit 42. And the number one way that the attacker gets in is still through phishing. And now we've just lowered the bar for them to be able to craft better phishing attacks. So the days of them being caught due to broken English or unable to communicate properly to someone is gone. So they won't be getting caught as much, which means phishing attacks is probably going to go up. 
So Mike, you talked about lowering the bar from social engineering. Let's flip it around. A lot of people are using ChatGPT or different AI tools. And I'm wondering, does that create a security vulnerability for enterprises today? Yeah, I think I think companies need to be hyper aware of how their users and employees are using this technology. Do they understand that whatever they type in that product, it's not a private conversation and there's a huge risk to data leakage, right? If you're having it rewrite sensitive emails for you so you sound more clearly, yes, yes, the LM is going to do a great job of rephrasing. But if you have information in there, it can create huge risk to an entity. And so corporations need to quickly roll out policies surrounding this technology. So in about a month, uh, Black Hat's going to happen. And I'm wondering, what would you tell our listeners to look for when they're at Black Hat? I think it's one of those things where I think pretty much every vendor is probably going to say the term AI when you're out there. So you're, you're going to be getting a hit with a lot of that, a lot of talk of that. Uh, I think it's about realizing what are science projects that these some of these businesses have rolled out, technologies being rolled out that, uh, that don't really provide a ton of benefit. Instead, I would look to say who's been on the AI journey for a long time and actually have other things outside of the LLM more recent wave uh, to show for, right? Uh, for example, here at Palo Alto, we've been on a journey of AI for a really long time. Early days of malware detection, uh, malware family identification using AI, and then more recently is how do you automate the SOC, right? You're getting flooded with tremendous amounts of alerts, and we've been investing for a long period of time of how to use AI to go from a whole pile of alerts just to a set of incidents that you could actually make it through. So I think it's about trying to maybe peel things back a little bit and figure out, you know, which one, which technologies are maybe implemented and, in, in, you know, just using an LM really quickly uh, and to get something out for Black Hat versus, um, you know, which ones have actually, you know, are going to have an impact in your in your life um, in a larger scale. So, Mike, thanks for joining me today on Threat Vector and sharing your insights about how AI is changing cybersecurity. We will be back in two weeks with a look at the top threats and trends seen by the Unit 42 Threat Intelligence Team. In the meantime, stay secure, stay vigilant, and goodbye for now. That's Threat Vector, hosted by David Moulton and brought to you by Palo Alto Network's Unit 42. Recently, a member of the U.S. Navy's Red Team released a tool called Teams Fisher, which exploits an unresolved security problem in Microsoft Teams. It's a known vulnerability, enabling hackers to send harmful files or programs to unsuspecting users. George Pritchage is vice president of products for application security at OpSWAT, and he joins us with insights on the issue. Definitely, there was a uh, vulnerability that was identified by Jumpsec on, say, last uh, month. The entire idea there that um, there was the vulnerability was based on uh, IDOR, like insecure data object reference. The logic is pretty simple, right? I'm able to like go and more or less, if you want, almost like impersonate or like get access to someone's organization, upload the file. And that can be a malicious file in someone's, uh, in an org that I don't have permission to do that. 
So that is definitely a huge security risk from my perspective. Now, I know that Microsoft pushed back there needs to be a social engineering involved to actually be able to exploit that one. But still, the fact they're able to bypass, which was unfortunately just a client side uh, verification, it's still a huge problem. Yeah, can we talk about uh, that that sort of uh, blend there between the the social engineering and the the technical vulnerability? I mean, it, it strikes me that that's not that unusual. You know, lots of vulnerabilities have a social engineering component. I think it's a bit naive to say that hey, this is not a high risk because there needs to be additional social engineering components, right? At the end day, there's a new malicious file that's bypassing all your security measures that you're trying to put in place to avoid those files reaching your SharePoint organization, let's say, and you're ending up with a malicious file in your SharePoint organization, the fact that an end user is going to go and access that file or not, you're kind of like late already. Now, I know you're training your employees not to click on links, not to open documents and so on, but definitely there's a level of trust from um, end users in these collaboration tools, right? The fact that someone is already messaging you inside your organization, the fact that that file is already accepted on your SharePoint and so on, that will potentially increase the confidence level, let's say, and diminish the risk level from uh, any end user when they're trying to access that one. I'm not saying they shouldn't verify that one, but I'm pretty sure that there are a lot of people who are going to actually ignore the external message uh, warning and so on. They're going to still open that file. So just by uh, accepting a vulnerability that, again, the entire idea is not to do just client-side verifications when you're checking if someone has a permission to upload files and they Microsoft is allowing that. I think that's a pretty big mistake from their end. And what do we know about the technical vulnerability itself, the, the issue within Microsoft Teams? Well, in a nutshell, it's pretty much allowing you to say, hey, I want to upload a file to this particular organization, right? Now, there needs to be a bit of a few configurations there to allow content from external sources to be sent to your organization. But interesting enough, that's the default configuration for Microsoft Teams, right? And again, there are organizations out there that are a lot more strict on like how they set up their uh, Microsoft Teams uh, account and all the security configurations with Microsoft Teams. But I like to believe that, or like unfortunately, I don't think everyone is going through all the extra efforts. And Microsoft Teams is a heavily used tool worldwide it's not just a matter of like some very, like, let's say organizations with very large security teams. So I'm pretty sure a lot of people are still using it in default mode. And that would mean that someone can actually go upload malicious files directly in Microsoft Teams because they can actually easily bypass a couple of things there. And it's not just verification of if you're allowed to upload files in that organization, it's also to like remove some additional banners or messages that these files are coming from an external untrusted source. So the fact that you have all those easily, let's say, bypassable mechanisms already in place that they're just enforcing it from the client, that's very risky. So what are your recommendations here for, for folks to best protect themselves? What are your words of wisdom? Well, definitely for this particular example, there are some workarounds in the team. I think uh, JumpStack team did a great job explaining like how you can actually make sure you're not exposed that someone cannot actually do that in your organization. But at the end, they, again, we're going back to the zero trust, right? And I think zero trust is a methodology that we should take it to heart and not just by training our employees on our, let's say, our customers not to click open documents they don't know and so on. But I think it's also 
how we can enforce this better, right? And again, there are things in the Microsoft Teams that JobSec team explain on how they can actually prevent and not to allow fire from external sources and so on. If that's not fully available, then maybe you can all, uh, create that allow list and um, which are the external sources your, let's say, partners, your collaborators are allowed to send you those files and so on. But I think there's a step that we need to take further, right? And I think this is, again, back to that zero day, uh, sorry, zero trust mentality. It's also the meaning of, can we actually trust that these collaboration tools are covering our security end-to-end, -end, right? Because usually, and you're looking, let's say, SharePoint being one of the examples, right, uh, with this vulnerability. SharePoint is actually just storing the file for teams. But at the end, it's not doing any malware validation. It's like, is this a file malicious or not? Is there doing any prevention and so on? It's just storing the file. And there are so many tools out there. Microsoft Teams doing the same. Is this link malicious? Is this file malicious and so on? Right. And there needs to be a lot more involvement from security teams to be able to prevent this ahead of time because our day-to-day -day activities is digital these days, right? COVID accelerated that a lot. Everyone is sharing files across a lot of, I know, a huge amount of like collaboration tools. So they need to go and scan those files, sanitize them, understand what kind of files they're accepting. That mentality that we need to make sure we're validating, we're filtering all the traffic that's coming in should be applied to also these collaboration tools, not just on, um, let's say, on email and the file upload functionality in a portal, right? And again, this can be from applying file scanning with, let's say, multi-scanner to have a better detection ratio, sanitizing the content with content design and construction, checking for a lot more advanced features, like they're like hyperlinks to those documents. What are those hyperlinks? Are they malicious or not? Check them against the, your reputation source or actually just detonate them and figure out what's going on there so on and so forth. So there's a lot more that needs to be done to prevent these ones upfront, not just to rely on your end user, they're gonna be able to resist in a social engineering attack. Right, regardless how much you can trade them, it's not one person to do that, and it's almost game over. That's George Pritchage from OpSWAT. We note in full disclosure that Microsoft is a CyberWire partner. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.